I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mini driver, my daughters tease me because they say I'm obsessed. <laughs> I am. This is it's taken Why me a you, year. Why are you obsessed with Because them? you say all the things that I think. <laughs> I like, but then I get in trouble for saying them, Gabby. So no. Is that also why you like it? Because then you go like, no. oh my God. No. He says it and then gets in trouble. No. And I don't think you should get in trouble. And my favourite thing ever is any time anyone interviews me and says, how do you juggle? I always think mini driver. Because if anyone were to say that to you, you'd say, no one asks a man, how do you juggle? i got to say, when they when I was becoming an American citizen and you have to go and pass an exam, an oral exam, they ask you all these questions. So you, you sit around learning about how many senators there are, how many Congress people, you know, what's the 13th Amendment. And uh, one of the questions that this guy asked me was, had I ever been a prostitute? And, oh, so and, you I, what? Said, and I said, and I said, no, but do you ask men that question? And he looked at me and then he went, yeah. And I was like, you ask men if they've been prostitutes. And he was like, yeah. And I still don't know if I believe him. But anyway. Oh, they ask you. What if you said yes? I don't think they would have let me be an American citizen. And I actually would have had a big problem with that because... What about all you the know, prostitutes? Sex workers provide a service yes. and have done for time immemorial. But it was also the word prostitute. Um, it was it was it's really it's so interesting. It's like the way that stuff is framed for oh, women is just different. Always. You know? And also the way that every single interview, so when I was doing all my research on you and everything, every single interview <laughs> says the same thing mm. to you. And it's like, oh my God, please stop talking about him. Please stop talking about that. Stop. I just did. It's sort of I got, I, I turned into you, listening to them all, thinking, how do you just not say, please stop now? Enough is enough. Um, You know, it's so funny. I just did an interview today and the, the, the lady did, the lady, the woman did that. And I said to her, I was like, do you know what I think it is actually? I I know I the moment I stopped defining myself by that because I kind of believed the press about oh, that's that, that I was defined by that. The minute I stopped doing that, which was basically getting older and feeling love where I used to feel resentment and anger and being really joyful in my own life with my yes! kid and yes! my boyfriend. The mi- that's when you're sort of free of it. And in a way, it becomes other people's narrative. And it ceases to have its hold on you. It might be annoying that it's still out there, and it is. But again, if you cease to be defined by that, I think less and less people are able to do that. So I had to stop agreeing with that being defined by a relationship that happened 25 oh, years ago. Oh, we're not, we're not. No, 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 we're not, yeah, we're not. Yeah. But, I saw, but I think in general, just in general terms, people, we have to, even though it's 
we think that stuff is being done to us, we have to decide that it isn't. We can choose to disengage with that narrative. And it's hard because it, it feels counterintuitive, yeah. but I think it's But possible. also, it's there in front of us all the time. When, when you started out, there wasn't Twitter. No. There wasn't Instagram. There wasn't immediacy to have people's opinions. Uh, but now there is. And if you can, can close off to that, that's really powerful. And also you use the word, because this podcast is called Reasons to be Joyful. And I love that you went straight in and used the word joy. And I, I get that from you, even when I first interviewed you, which I think was 1995, which was about three months ago, I think, um, that I got joy from you. I always got joy from you. And I know there was stuff, because after the interview, we talked about stuff that was going on. But there was joy. And I love that you now have... Captured, captured it. I think it's quite. I think it's so much a concept, joy, and we hear a lot about it. But to actually live it is is it's tricky. It's trickier yeah, than you think it, it should be. You know, because I do think you get swept up in all the stories that you tell yourself. We don't really tell ourselves many stories of joy. We tell ourselves stories of stress and of work and of worries about money and our kids and our partners and the you know the planet and I don't you have to actively tell yourself stories of joy I was just yeah. listening to this podcast which I listen to religiously which is called This American Life it's an American podcast and it was a whole episode on delight and how you have to actively choose it and I think that's really true I think it's the same with all of it we're all we're all thrust negativity in our faces, especially the news. I mean, we can't deny what's going on yeah. in the world. And you can't just brush it away and go, oh, let's all skip everywhere. It's not quite like that. But what you put out is very powerful. Actually, your book is extraordinary. Oh, thank you. Gary. It really is. Thank and you. all I love that you, you put it out there. It's the narrative and it's the way that you want people to see it from, from I mean, the travel on your own at 11 from Barbados... <laughs> Was that was quite nice, and I know everybody talks about that. But that reading it, and then I listened to the audio book as well. Um, hearing you tell the story, it, it, nuts is yeah, it's a nice way of putting it. It is. It is. It's funny when I was figuring out what I wanted to write about. Because I wrote it during COVID and it was like, okay, well, if I was going to write a book, what would it be? Well, what are the stories that I've always, you know, that I've told on the beach around the fire and in my sitting room and lunches and dinners? What are the stories that I've returned to? And I realised how how much I loved them. But when I actually looked at like a pricey of the stories, particularly that one, I'm, I'm going to Miami. It is, it is really weird. It's, it's extraordinary. It, it, it's really strange that like an 11-year-old would be would be put on a plane by themselves and sent to arguably, at that time, certainly one of the most dangerous cities in America in 1981 to one of the most infamous hotels in the world and just set free to do whatever they would do for a day and a night. Like, it was... Were you scared? I don't remember being scared. I was pissed off and I was sad. But I always believed, erroneously, that... What was happening to me was, I deserved is the wrong word, but like I accepted what was happening to me. You know, I was like, oh, so we're doing At this. At 11. Now. now I'm in a hotel room. Well, he also gave me his credit card, so now I'm going to 
You max I'm going to max out his card because. <laughs> but do you think is that that I mean it's a very mature way to behave at eleven. I think we hope that we will be like that now, but but eleven years old. Cause you've got your boy's fourteen. Yeah. Was oh he like God. that at eleven? Could oh he have God. coped with that? I, it, I mean, he would have been. I, he would have been fine. I think he would have been fine. I think he would have been scared. Yeah. I the thing was because I knew I, I I thought I was in trouble. Like I was sent away from my dad's house because of a fight that had happened, and so I felt like it was I deserved it. It was a punishment. Therefore, it was meant to be hard. So any any hardness that I came across, which was not, you know, this hotel, they were all so astonished to see an 11-year-old. I didn't come across much harshness except my solitude and the weirdness of putting myself to bed and nobody telling me to brush my teeth and feeling alone. But again, like I said, there was, it was, a, there was a weird acceptance of us. Like, oh, well, this is, this is what's happening because I did this thing and now this is what's happening, so I better just get on with it. Are you like that now? No, I. Do you accept? I. No, I buck against it. I, my boyfriend is the most accepting, extraordinary person. I watch him do it, and I I try and copy that. No, I'm far less accepting. I used to say this thing to my mother, which was, I used to be so evolved, and she always thought that was really funny. But I feel like I did used to be far more zen about things. And then it's almost like you learn, the learned behaviour is that that it's hard and that people judge you and that you have to, if you don't censor yourself, then you will be judged and the media will judge you and you, you know what I mean? That you, yeah. you're kind of, it's strange, it's a strange one, but I have learnt acceptance. My mum dying kind of forced a journey of learning what acceptance looks like. And my life not looking the way that I ever thought it would, you know. I, I did you envisage your life? Did you envisage yourself, obviously, as a singer at the beginning? Yeah, I did. I oh, saw. Please keep singing, by the way. I saw. I do. I sing all the Good. time. I gotta. I gotta make a record. I gotta make another record. Good. Do yeah. it. I love it. Being um, being another musical. Yeah, but but so you're talking about your mum and. Yeah. What was I saying? About your mum and about um, acceptance and about. What you, how you were then, as to, as opposed to how you are now. I think. I think I think when you. I think surviving things that are really hard, whether that's grief or heartbreak or whatever that looks like in your life, there is a certain acceptance comes along with that, with the recovery. You know, acceptance and healing, I think, are synonymous. So when you get to experience that I think when I started going here I am in this day and it's and it's okay and if I weep and it's all right and if I weep openly and people see me doing that it's also all right you I realized that I'd accepted I'd accepted more of the grief and of of her dying and and of her life and of the imperfection of it and of all the unanswered questions and all of these things which you know when somebody dies it's not there's, there's so many, there are so many questions still, mm. and you, you have to begin a, this relationship with the dead person, that is like a one-way conversation, but you realise that there are, there is actually 
there is still a quality to asking questions that don't immediately have an answer. Does she answer? I mean, my mum died 26 years ago when she was very young. Wow. And, and there are times when I wish I'd asked her certain things. And I try and ask her and I sort of get an answer. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I think it's her that's yeah. telling me that. That's so funny because I was I've just been writing about exactly that. Like, is that is that her or is that my brain generating it? And I'm I don't think it matters. I don't think it does either. No. I'm so pleased you said that because yeah. I don't think it matters that it's no. You don't need that. It's what you. It's what you're taking in. Yeah, exactly. If you're getting if you're getting what you need, then the the origin of it, whether it's her or whether it's you channeling her or whether it's you channeling the part of you that is her, who cares? You're getting the you're getting the answer. Did people say to you when you were little that you've got a very wise head on? No, young they soldiers? said I was a nightmare. They told me that I was too loud and I probably had ADHD or something. I, I mean I was so frantic. I mean energetic and constantly moving like a dervish. And always loud and always being told to be quiet and always wanting to sing and dance and, and I think take up a lot of space and certainly more space than you were supposed to take up, you know, in the late 70s. Were you, was there a shyness about it or were you just out there? Was there a part of you that kept yourself to yourself? No, I, no, I, so it, was, it was purely was experiential and feral. Not performative so much as feral, just in terms of like rooting around for life, just very, very present in life. And I think that my parents found that very difficult to um, to understand and to, to know what to do with. Because even though my mum was super strangely um, expansive and interested in the world and not very buttoned down, my dad was pretty buttoned down, um, yeah, they didn't really know what to do with me. You know, and that's why my, I think my school was such an amazing place to wind up because they, they, they didn't know what to do with me either. But they sort of roared with laughter at that and just put me to work doing everything, trying everything, and that was sort of the answer. So you went off. To, you went to boarding school, and and that I, lovely. When you just mentioned your school, you smiled, which is a really. There's not many people that do that. Yeah. Um, but you you just smiled about that. But then you then you became the performer that you probably always were as a child that might have been the the you know being loud I mean anyone who would sit here and, and watch a child do that they'd probably say oh they should be on stage exactly they should be on stage yeah um but you ended up doing it and there you were as a singer and an actor and suddenly we knew you everybody knew you was that what you wanted do you think <sighs> I mean it's so funny because it must, I suppose it must have been subconsciously, but you know, growing up in England, it, you're not primed and you're certainly not thinking about fame wasn't a concept. And it is you know, now, sadly. It is. Oh, it's completely different. I want to be famous. Now. Yeah. With, with what? Exactly. No, just famous. Exactly. Yeah. But then it wasn't that. No. And, and also the, the notion of bit like being a musician or an actor, it was, it was in England. It was to go and, you know, it was to play the Brixton Academy or it was to be on stage at the RSC. Like that was that was as much as my head could could con conceive of. So the whole moving to America and that that whole thing, that that was never conscious. 
that was just moving with the tide of what was happening again. Like everything that was happening, I just went with what was happening in that moment. And like when I went for a weekend to America and then never left, it was because I was just following what was happening. But that's incredible. There's not many people that can say that because people have fear that comes in the way. So, oh, I'm going to go there without that. I'm just going to go with the flow. That's what everybody wants to be able to do. You, maybe, yeah, maybe. I never, it's only, it's weird. I've only ever started thinking about it as that going with the flow thing really recently. But that is, I suppose, what it was. At the time I thought about, well, I just don't want to go back. I don't want to go backwards. I want to keep moving forward. So there was a feeling of propulsion of, well, I'm, I'm here and then I'm here for this weekend and then I got this film quite by accident on this weekend in New York and then I made that film and then when I was making that film on my lunch hour I went and auditioned for another film and then I got that one and that also filmed in New York. So now I've been in New York for now, now I'm there two years and I haven't been home with my, you know, my three bras, five pairs of knickers, two pairs of jeans and a, you You'd know, slutty dress. Come on. It's so weird. Just get by it's with so, five you know what I did? Yeah, because it was the 90s. I bought a slip dress. Fabulous. What colour? <laughs> you know, it was like nude. And I wore it with no bra <laughs> and very high wedge cork heels. And I thought I looked so hot. And I think I probably, probably was quite hot. I was like, everyone's hot when they're 24. <laughs> so two years you're in New York and your life has changed. Yeah, it changed. Incredibly. But it, again, it's like I made, you know, I made... One really good friend, and she is still one of my best friends in the world today. And I, it's all you really need. Like, I had this thing that I loved, this job. I just, still to this day, I love being on a set more, apart from being with my kid and my boyfriend and my dog or surfing. I like being on a set. It makes me happy. When I see cable on the road outside, if I see a film set, I'm always nosing around just to see who's there. Is there any ADs that I know? I feel better sitting in a director's chair for hours waiting around. I love it. So I was there very happy doing that in New York. And then I had my one friend and my slip dress. And we lived in this crazy apartment. And I was like, I, you know, what, what else am I supposed to do except this? It's very interesting to use the word love for your job because um, uh, people don't like it when people say that. For some strange reason, I say the same about television. I, you saw me well up. That was a bit of... Because uh, when you say, I love my job, I love... And you said, I love my son and my boyfriend and the dog. But you love your job. Yeah. To be able to say that, we are so lucky. Beyond. And beyond. Beyond, beyond. And, that, you know, that was my dad's... He didn't give me a huge amount of advice, but that was one of the things that he said when I was very young, which is, if you possibly can... No, not if you possibly can. He said, find what you love, and if you possibly can, get someone to pay you to do it. Great said, advice. It's true, <laughs> but find out what you love. And then I, I guess that then requires, it requires commitment and taking a leap of faith to go, I need to take this beyond it being a hobby or something that I do. And I don't quite know what the, what, I don't know what the difference is between what gives you the courage to go, I'm just going to try. Cause... Yeah, because you went with the flow. That wave was going, so you went with it. And I don't know if there's many people that would do that. Well, I mean, it's just... We all want... Everybody wants to. Everybody wants to be able to have the freedom to do that. I was also really young and not encumbered by any 
sense of anything except my own delight. Like I didn't have, oh, you know, I didn't. You see how wonderful is that? But that's, I think that's, I think a lot of, I think young people. I mean, I'm saying young people. I think young people need to remember that, like the that their youth is like rocket fuel. You know, you can you can do anything. You know, you really can. You you just have to decide, and you have to be prepared to like not have to take chances to like not have any money, but like but but the what you're what you're paid that that feeling of rightness, like it felt so right. Even though I didn't know anybody in New York, and it was scary and it was overwhelming at times, it felt completely right. So what happened after that? Where did the where did the wave and the flow take you? Well, so then my so then my friend Alexandra, she found out that her boyfriend was having like three other relationships with different women, and she was like, "I have to get out of New York." And she was a screenwriter. She's like, "I'm moving to LA. Will you come?" And in a heartbeat, I was like, "Well, I'm not staying here if you're not here." So and let's that's the go. Friend to, that you're still friend, best yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah. I was like, let's go to LA. And she has this trick for finding apartments. Like, so I was like, we're never going to find a place. We're never going to find a place. Like, how are we going to find? She's, she's like, I'm going to find the place. And she found us this crazy old duplex, which is just like a two, you know, it's, it's it was cantilevered out over that you like you see in the movies out over a canyon. So it's like an apartment that's on giant stilts that just looked out over the city and it was falling to pieces. It was like this 60s relic. Oh, my God. And that sounds incredible. It was so fun. And we just, and it was kind of falling down. And then we, yeah, we lived there for three years. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It is your whole, your whole story is a film I mean, I know lots of people say that, and and all again, all the interviews and everything I've heard you do and I've watched you do. Because, oh, they're going to make a movie out of this. They're going to make a movie out of this. <laughs> but it's your real life. So for everybody else, we all sit here in wonder and think, oh, you did this, and at eleven you did that, and then you lived in a can over the canyon, and you were in L.A. and <laughs> you know all of that. But that was your reality. It's not a movie. It's not a film. That is your reality. So looking back on it and writing the book must have been incredibly powerful. Can I? Is that the right word to use? I think, I think what it did was make me um, appreciate. I think it made me appreciate my life, actually writing it all down, because I did give myself a really hard time for. Do you? I, well, I did. I definitely believed. All of the, all of the, you know, there are terrible things written about you when you're, when you're, when you get famous. Because, you know, there's opinion. There was no recourse then. There was no social media. Yeah. So you couldn't, you couldn't make a video responding to something or let people see who you actually are. You were, you were totally metabolized through the lens of like the media. And that was 
definitely really hard. And I don't think I appreciated my life I, as it was happening. I think I was just on the run. But writing it, I really did start looking back. And it was, I mean, it was so, it was so fun. I mean, there was a lot of heartbreak, but it was so fun. But doesn't heartbreak make us Yeah, and, it's, and it happens to everybody. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not personal to to me. It might have been more public sometimes, but it was, I think I spent a lot of time just, uh, I think being on the run, that's a good way of putting it. That's interesting. And then eventually feeling like, God, this is, being able to connect with really loving what you do. Like every time I come back to making a TV show or a movie, I just love it. So you just said it's when when you arrived, you said you'd just been in, where, where you said you were in Atlanta? No. Yeah, so this, so this year I've been in Atlanta and in, I'm going back to France on Sunday. I've been for the last three months or four months um, making a TV show there. Like, How awful. That yeah. just is really tough. Really no. tough. I've actually never shot anywhere as glamorous as France. Like it is, pre it is pretty amazing. Whereabouts? In the South of France? Yeah, in the South of France oh. and then in the Loire. Oh, yeah, very incredible. nice. Absolutely incredible. But boiling hot and in... Elizabethan clothes to quite hard but um, but amazing like because it's still that all of that stuff is just like you know three and a half hours in hair and makeup but it's three like, and a half hours yeah I've got, what did they do sorry got, in the nicest possible way they don't need to do that I have very I have I have prosthetics oh okay prosthetics on my face and it's it's nuts it's really it's really I wish I could just talk about it but they haven't they told me I'm not allowed to say yet because okay. it hasn't been announced so Prosthetics in France, we'll call it. But. Prosthetics in France, yeah. and um, and, and and Atlanta, and then in Atlanta, I was same thing. Saying, nope, that was a different. That's a pilot for a TV show that I really hope gets picked up. So then I get to move to Atlanta for like four months and shoot the show, and then then that's really that's the um, we remade a uh, peep show. Oh, oh my god! You can't remake peep show, obviously, right, yeah. but you can use the conceit of the show, which is a POV show, and it's it's staggeringly weird and really amazing. It's really they they did. I mean, I think it's amazing, but I don't know if they're going to pick it up. We'll see. It's it's nuts, and but it's really it bears really no relation to obviously the OG peep show, except that it is a POV show. So you're only ever acting with the barrel of a lens. You're never looking at another actor in the face. Oh, fantastic. Super weird. So you'll do, how, how will you do that if you're in France? Well, so... In pros the, with Prosthetics. That has been eight episodes of something that's a closed-ended... Oh, I see. Oh, I've just been in this TV show Oh, in the France. French one. The pilot is... We'll see if that show gets picked up and, and then... And that I'll will have an after. A, yeah. Okay. I, I love that you're so busy. Please, will you keep singing? Oh, and I know I said that I before. I you do. do. I, ha I actually do have to. I do have to go and write more music. I do. And my, um, I've got lovely friends who are musicians who are constantly saying we need to write and do something. So I will. Singing's so good for the soul. Yes. And I don't believe anybody can't sing. I agree. And or dance actually. Well, you haven't seen the dance. <laughs> Seriously, I don't call it dancing. I call it jumping. I can jump. <laughs> In time to the music, but no dancing. But singing is so, so important. So with, with your baby boy, are you happy to talk about him? Oh. And So yeah. has he read the book? How does he feel? Does he know all the stories? He... Or is he just your mum? That's it. I, I, definitely, um, I definitely said when I was, because obviously we were all 
banged up together during COVID, mm. me and my boyfriend and my son. And I definitely said to him, look, I'm going to I'm gonna write one of the stories is going to be of your birth. Yeah. But I, I was very conscious, like anything that I wrote, I did it with the, with the idea that he would one day read it and to make sure that I can still tell the truth about my experience whilst also making it something that wouldn't um, be hard for him to metabolise later. But um, he's funny, Henry. You know, he sees all the different aspects of... He comes on set with me. He sees when it's good. He sees when I'm irritated and sad. He sees the kind of glamorous red carpet thing. And and then, you know, but I'm just his mum. That's exactly yeah. what you are. That's actually first. It's not then your mum. It's exactly. your mum with all of that shit behind you. Exactly. But he's, he sees it in... Con- he, that All of that stuff is... I think it's funny to him. Like, he, he knows that it's my job. It's, like, part of my whole thing. But he's very circumspect about... Does his... he want to do it? I don't know. I don't I don't know. He's a really good performer. He's a really good musician. I mean, to me. And he gets so annoyed. If, he gets really annoyed now when I big him up, like, out loud. But all parents do that. But genuinely, he's definitely, he's definitely an artist, I think. So we'll see. I don't know what he's going to make. Uh, he might make music. He might be an actor. He might be a director. Might be a music producer. I don't know. You have, you know, there's a but you, that everybody says. You know, there's somebody that's funny bones, or you know, the people give people labels. Honestly, you have twinkle. You have a twinkle, and I remember it in 1995. <laughs> and my co-presenter Chris Evans and I, we oh both, God. we and uh, he just, I, you really have this thing. You have something so unique and so special that I want you to keep doing what you do. And there's not many people I look in the eye and say that to, but you have to. And I th- have you done TED Talks? No. Why not? I don't know. Ted never asked me. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Ted, no, seriously, you've got to, because I think a what lot I, of... What would I do a TED Talk on? <laughs> about empowering women mm. and for speaking up. And I do quite like the idea of speaking. I think yeah. speaking up is... I do like that. that and you're a woman who supports women. Yeah. You get that from you. So every time I see you interviewed, every time I, you know, you, you have your own podcast, all the things that you do, you're, you're supporting others. So you've gone through your stuff, but you're supporting others. You've got to do a TED Talk. <laughs> you should actually be president. <laughs> president. You, you could be president of America. No, I wasn't born. You have to be born in America to be president. Oh, yeah. But I wouldn't want that job. But I mean... I, I would never want that job. No, actually, no. No. Oh my God, it's the or worst. Or marry a member of the royal family. No. No. The worst. No. Or prime minister of this country. No. Although I, I'd quite like you to do that. I there's a few. I no. I want you to be prime minister. I want you to jump up and down. Jumping up and down. Jump and down outside number ten. I'd pay. I'd pay good money to watch that. <laughs> we need to save the planet. Let's all dance. Exactly. Let's all dance. Yeah, maybe it will work. Who knows? Um, it can't be worse than what's currently happening. Oh. So jumping up and down and saying, can we save the planet? feels like it might be a step in the right direction. Should we get a cab now and do it now? <laughs> the two of us. Um, uh, what makes you belly laugh? We always ask everybody on this podcast. Oh, my God. God. What makes you properly laugh? You've got you have got the best laugh. I and mean, you've got oh, a filthy giggle. I love a good I love a good joke. I love You I, love a good joke. I love Nobody good has joke. ever said that. I love a good joke. A proper old fashioned joke. Yeah, I have I have yes, one. a tata joke. Yeah. 
I have one. I have one joke, and I can't tell it because it's it is filthy. But you it's, can tell it. It's can How I? How filthy? You, you can, okay. The producers listening in. You will Joe, see. Yeah, I'll I'll just tell you the jokes. I'll tell you the joke. A bloke walks into he walks he walks into a pub with an octopus, and he goes, "My octopus can play any uh, any instrument in the world." And the guy goes, "Oh, really? Okay." And he gives him a trumpet, and the octopus looks at the trumpet, and he kind of twists it around, holds it up to his beak, and then he starts blowing like Miles Davis. And the guy goes, "Oh, pretty good." And this other guy comes and he gives him a guitar, and the octopus takes the guitar and he starts shredding like Jimi Hendrix. And it's amazing. And the guy goes, "Wow, that's really astonishing." And then the guy comes in and he gives the octopus a set of bagpipes, and the octopus is just like looking at the bagpipes and like holding it up to his beak. And and the guy goes, "Yeah, you see, nobody." Nobody could play the bagpipes like the octopus can't play the bagpipes. And the octopus goes, play it. I'm going to fuck it if I can get stand pajamas <laughs> That's fine. We're keeping it in. We're keeping that joke in. That says so much about you because I was thinking, right, I've got to come up with a joke now to see if I can make you laugh. My joke is so pathetic. I'll be the judge of that. What is it? It makes me laugh even before I say okay, it. Okay, good. Then okay. No. okay, so what, what do you call is? What do you call a man with a car on his head? What? Jack. What do you call a man with a citron on his head? What? Jack. <laughs> it's my favourite joke. My kids just look at me and they go, Mum, <laughs> stop it. I, I oh. love that. I've never heard that. I thought I'd heard all of the what do you call a man with a, or a woman. <laughs> I thought I'd heard all of those. I haven't heard the women ones. What do you call a nun on a washing machine? Systematic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you see, I know. that's but I like. Fun. But I like. I like Jack and Jacques. That's that, very. <laughs> that's very funny. That's why I love you, and I've been chasing you for a year to do this podcast. Uh, Many driver, thank you so much. Thank you, Gabby. For a joy, you are too. 